welcome back to Emory University's Creativity Conversation podcast. My name is Maggie Becker. I am an Emory alum in theater studies and creative writing. I work with Arts at Emory, a communications and advocate team for all the arts events that occur on Emory University's campus. Part of my work with Arts at Emory is producing these podcasts. These podcasts are pulled from live recordings of Rosemary McGee Creativity Conversations, an endowed speaker series where renowned thinkers and creators come into conversation about their craft on Emory's campus. I'm joined today by Stipe scholar Patsy Collins to introduce and talk about the Rosemary McGee Creativity Conversation, The Political Body, with Anat Gregorio and Hillel Kogan. Hi, my name is Patsy Collins. As Maggie said, I am the Stipe Scholar in the dance program, which kind of means I'm an advocate for the arts on campus. I am a double major in dance and business. I'm on the executive board of Ahana Dance, one of our amazing dance student groups. The podcast that we are going to be introducing today is The Political Body with Anat Gregorio and Hillel Kogan. Why did you pick this one, Patsy? So I chose this podcast because these artists were amongst the many Israeli artists that Emory Dance brought to our program a couple years ago. And I had the pleasure of working with Yossi Berg and Oded Graf, who are two wonderful Israeli artists that I was with through the Emory Dance Company, and we performed with them for two wonderful shows a couple falls ago, and I really enjoyed my experience with them. What kind of topics do they touch on in this creativity conversation? In this conversation, they're talking about kind of the political implications of our bodies and performance, specifically as dancers, because both of them are dance artists. So kind of asking themselves the questions about what political implications there are of their movement and their process and just simply the act of the bodies on stage. Are you working on anything right now that kind of overlaps with this idea of dance and politics? Yes, in the spring and a little bit this semester, I'm doing an independent project. I'm working with the ideas of dance protest and how that relates to kind of the current political climate that we have today. And I'm also questioning the political implications of my body and my dancers on stage. And this podcast has really kind of helped me get more clarification of what kind of implications I want to present on stage. What is dance protest? Dance protest? Wow, loaded question. (laughs) Um, What is dance protest to you? To me. So I'm looking at dance protest and how it's performed on stage, like artists like Bill T. Jones, who worked with art in the AIDS epidemic, and those who are kind of afflicted with these ailments, and how those bodies may dance differently because of physical limitations and how they want to present struggle on stage. But I'm also looking at protests that are kind of live, like things that are happening um, at UVA or things that have happened in the past. I'm from Chicago, so a lot of protests have been going on there. And kind of how those protests are kind of dances in themselves, how the bodies gather at these large meetings, I guess, at different places in the city, different places in their lives, all that is kind of a dance in itself. Talk a little bit about your project, your independent project, which is kind of a thesis in a way, but you don't have to necessarily defend it, correct? Yeah, correct. So I'm this past fall, I'm working with Director Lori Teague of Emory Dance Program. She's been my advisor. She's been absolutely wonderful. We're talking a lot about previous dances that have been done. And then in the spring, I'm going to work with other bodies. And we're going to kind of go through movement strategies of how a body represents trauma and how we believe dancers can kind of not bring peace, but kind of give the others an opportunity to use movement as therapy in relation to the protests that have been happening recently. Yeah. Patsy, thank you for sitting down to speak with me about the political body and your craft. To our listeners, please enjoy this creativity conversation. Welcome, everyone, to this creativity conversation. Um, sponsored in part in, from the Exposed Festival that's going on in Atlanta right now. So collaborators from CORE, Rialto, from Georgia State, Kennesaw State University, and of course Seven Stages and Emory University Dance. Did I miss anyone? 
there Israeli a lot. Israeli consulate. <laughs> Israeli consulate. Yes, thank you. I'm I'm Greg Cadelier, and I'm a, a senior lecturer here in the dance program. Uh, we have two choreographers with us today from Israel, Anak Grigorio and uh, uh, Hillel Kogan. Uh, both of them are part of the Israeli Choreographers Association, which I kind of want to hear more about because I don't think there's an American Choreographers Association. Uh, at least I haven't been invited. And um, just a little bit of history. Anak grew up dancing in Israel, danced for the Kibbutz Dance Company, and Ido dance company yeah. so uh, and just been cre creating our own work since about 2003 yeah Hillel dance for Bacheva and also a company oh I have it in my notes from Switzerland yeah yeah in Switzerland uh, Portugal Portugal yeah and yeah. then also was a Bacheva rehearsal director for a while I'll let you guys fill in more stuff later uh, Heidi Howard is the artistic director from Seven Stages, and Seven Stages is kind of known for doing political work. We thought she would be a perfect person to talk with uh, about politicalness in art, and we're going to talk a little bit about that and about other things as well. Heidi, why don't you just give your impression of Israel, and, and then we'll come back this direction. Mary, what we were talking about last night. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Seven Stages is a 38-year-old national nonprofit theater located in Little Five Points, and our mission is social, political, and spiritual work in contemporary culture with an eye of interacting internationally so that we can share best methods. And our vision is really to create conversation around such topics to bring our our work, our role as artists, closer into the community so that we can be stronger advocates globally, nationally, and locally. And the work that we've done since the beginning, and as I took over as artistic director, it was essential to connect that with the young people as well so that we can look at process um, and connect better. Our exposure with the Israeli artists has been eye-opening for me specifically so that we can look at our own politics and how it relates to the, what the Israeli artists are doing. And the work that I saw in Israel when I was privileged enough to go was very urgent and it brought uh, messages to the stage that I think that everyone across the globe should start to really analyze when we're looking at the art that we bring to the stage. And what I saw on the stage last night was just pure courage and heart wide open. So I just, it, it was an honor to be here last night and also to be a part of the overall Exposure Festival. So if we could just get a, a not to give a little more history about you and your work and then hello. History. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kind of uh, just flesh out what I just began. Where to begin. <laughs> <laughs> When you were six, you started doing gymnastics. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, I start, I start my, my, yeah, as gymnastic when I was really young. And then I always dance, I always love to dance, but I found my professional career with Idot and Morden's company in, two, in the year 2000. And then I just moved to the Kibbutz Contemporary Dance Company and there I found this urge to create myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah, and over there it's like, it's more, uh, what do you say, Mif'al? Operation. Operation of dancers, like there's not much uh, of creation and you have to dance for the choreographer and I really, really wanted to say something. Mm -hmm. <laughs> So I took my best friend there, told him, 
yeah, let's let's create something. Then I just moved back to Tel Aviv and uh, started to create and danced with uh, another physical theater dance company. Uh, then I met uh, all these actors and text and other other discipline that interested me. And yeah, this is where I, I start to find my own language. Hello, can you yeah. give us a little more? I started dancing at 16. I was not a gymnast. <laughs> I was an actor, actually. Uh, yeah, I was even surprising for whoever saw the piece yesterday. I was sure theater would be my profession. As a child, I participated in TV series and on stage sometimes, doing all the auditions, singing also, music. But although my parents are from the Soviet Union, they immigrated in the 70s, ballet or dance was not something that we saw or heard of at home. But I went to an art high school and there in theater class and the, the theater and the dance students were studying together. Not, not the artistic studies, but uh, mathematics and literature. So, and my best friends were from dance department, and uh, I was actually very jealous of them <laughs> because uh, they were working the whole day and they had so much. Their days were full. Um, <laughs> me, after school, what? I, I wouldn't go home to read the Shakespeare plays or <laughs> had nothing to do. I would just go home and watch TV and then. <laughs> It bothered me, so I started uh, dancing. At the beginning I was uh, a bit shy of uh, that, so nobody knew I was dancing. I took dance course very far from wherever people know me. I was 16 and uh, I entered a group of 12-year-old uh, ballet girls <laughs> because, because the teacher thought, okay, if you just begin, maybe I have a, a class that uh, starts the basics now. So. Let's see how you fit in. I was there, it, it was a bit weird situation. <laughs> but I loved it. Yeah, and, and then I, I gained more courage, and then I moved to a school in Tel Aviv. And from there, it was, uh, there was really lack of male dancers. The teachers really invested in me, and I think it happens to, to many male dancers right at the beginning. All the teachers are on them because they need them and uh, the company really fast. So I got a lot of attention and uh, I was also very uh, ambitious and enthusiastic in order to work on my flexibility. For example, I used to tie myself to the bed in a frog position. <laughs> I was that enthusiastic. I couldn't walk the day after. Yeah, I thought it would help. <laughs> and then uh, my first uh, dance company was the Junior Bacheva, the Bacheva Ensemble, the young company. Um, I danced there for two years, then I moved to Switzerland where I danced two years with a small company. Then for seven years in, in Portugal, I lived in Portugal, I danced with, it was a big company, we were 30 dancers. There was no choreographer, it was repertory, and we were working with the seven or ten choreographers every season, including Ohad Naharin, which is the director of Bacheva. I danced more Ohad Naharin in Portugal than in Israel. 
it was very very rich experience very versatile many styles pieces that I was embarrassed to dance as well <laughs> costumes that I was embarrassed to wear you know that truly really taught me a lot that experience besides that also pieces and choreographers that I met that have taught me many things and taste different processes there is a, the disadvantage of this kind of career when you dance in a company where you don't have continuity and uh, every three months a uh, choreographer changes yeah you, you don't get to build a language or all, all what you don't gain when you have um, those temporary periods felt this lack of um, continuity after seven years I came back to Israel and I decided to do my own choreographical work and uh, I was also invited to be the rehearsal director of the Junior Bacheva and I became Ohad Narling's assistant, a Gaga teacher, a member of the Choreographers Association. Well, we were supposed to talk about politics and art today or politics and dance and my friend Anna Leo, who's up here, she once said to me, and I think she says this to the students, that at least in America, if you make any dance at all, that's a political statement. Because what it says is, I'm not part of the rest, I'm not like the rest of you. I'm, I'm going to do something dangerous, I'm going to do something different, I'm going to make this dance. And I'm just wondering if, one, if you guys consider yourselves political artists, and two, if political, the word political art in Israel has maybe a different idea behind it. Well, <laughs> then you have to stop Can I, me. Oh, well, stop one, yeah, I because you talk talk and talk. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to mention that uh, Anand's piece is called Mr. Nice Guy, yes. and, and it's uh, overtly feminist, and Anand's uh, <laughs> piece is uh, We Love Arabs, and there it is. They can't get, I feel like both, the, both those things are political, period. Yeah. The term political art lays beside what? Abstract art or decorative art or I don't know. Yeah. For me, politics is everywhere, especially as Israeli, but not only. I think there is in every art form, there is politics of identities, politics of uh, power. Now, politics as Arabs and Jews or, or power situations or minorities, social political issues, I think you can extract that from any form of art, even from the art, if we take the example of dance, I think even Merce Cunningham's abstract, so-called postmodern abstract art, is, which is about form, time and space, is very political for me, my reading of it. Because also the refusal to, to talk about society, to talk about uh, taste maybe, or about emotions, or it's, a, it's also a political decision to deal with nature, to escape from reality. I think you can extract political statement from any art form, even if it's meant by the artist or not. Now, regarding my work, of course, We Love Arabs deals with the political and power situation between ethnicities, yeah, between Jews and Arabs in Israel and about the way the white Western world looks at the East, yeah, or looks at the Arab, at the Orient, uh, the image of the Arab, racism uh, involved in all that view. It is political and it's in, in this way I identify with this term because I'm interested less, it's not that I'm not interested in form musicality, let's say, or, or um, 
decorative composition, not, nothing against decoration, yeah, I think it's a very important thing. But yes, so, so then it's, it's a definition that I don't choose, but I accept if people see that or if, uh, if it's easier for people to understand the, the piece in that view. Even though the piece has a lot of text and a lot of uh, social messages, and you can also look at the composition as choreography. Yeah, you can can see dealing with space, with timing, with the movement about pure body. Yeah, mm -hmm. whatever pure is. But yeah, but also the the initial concept was political. I mean, yeah, it's a it's a it's a political question. But but okay. Even a, a painter, yeah, or a, if he has the subject, uh, the view, let's say, or yeah, the sunset, it's not about yellow and blue. Then it becomes about yellow and blue yeah. and other colors and composition. But then, okay, the, it's an excuse. The Arabs and Jews are excused to be on stage, to write something, to choreograph something, to research the body. Our process started from dance question, which is, how does an Arab move? Mm -hmm. Or what is an Arab movement? What is a Jewish movement? Mm -hmm. So it is about movement, it is about dance, it is about physical expression. Anat, when you were describing your need to create when you were dancing for Kibbutz, it actually reminded me of your piece because it feels like your piece is very much in some ways about that. It's about like people telling you what to do. I would love to hear just just the beginnings of how you process that work. Uh, yes, I cannot run away from the political mm -hmm. statement. It, mm -hmm. It's there, I mean. But I wasn't thinking about, I'm doing a political work now, mm -hmm. but it's just, it, it just what it is. I felt the urge to expose my myself and to find out uh, what is my... My statement, but but it, it came from a personal experiences. It is very personal. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, this piece. There's a lot of ways to look at it. It's, of course, yes, it's feministic, but but the, it's not only about women and men. Everything yeah. relates to Trump. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So well. I guess I was wondering, uh, what was the thing? What was the uh, initial process or the initial question that you had? What was the impetus? The motor. The motor yeah. is, is, is to, to express, mm -hmm. to, to undermine, to say, no, there's other ways. No, I'm not, this is not the only way to look at things. No. To say no. no to say it's yes. It's an act of resistance. It's an, in a way, also. yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. And to stand behind it. Well, this is actually, uh, this is also in your piece, this idea of the uh, exposing the self. Is this something that's inherently Israeli, or is this, maybe this is also something that every, you know. Yeah, we are strippers. I think, yeah, I, I think it does define or describe Israeli culture. And behavior, but also Israeli art. That it's uh, it's not not so much about commenting on the world outside, but more commenting on the self. A strong urge to say what you think, 
Mm -hmm. Yeah, we talked about to resist yesterday. also, mm -hmm. to oppose, to resist, to to comment about not about the world but about uh, something that is pointed at at you, for mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. So a lot of a lot of it is uh, personal experience, uh, less about how nature works, for example. Or you mean by that? Like I was thinking about Cunningham again uh -huh. because he, I I love to come back to him because he's American because uh, you, he's also you, my master. Yeah, I yeah. studied there a bit. Yeah, it's actually the way I also prefer approaching the body as a dancer, mm. athletically. Let's say it's the technique that I identify myself with the most, uh, the dance technique which I found the most rich and and beautiful. Mm -hmm and interesting and challenging uh, because it, uh, it involves virtuosity with a very clear relationship with the body. It's about strength, speed. It demands a lot of uh, brain uh, work while dancing, a bit less about the mannerism that you have in ballet or mm -hmm. maybe also other <coughs> techniques that I have experienced. So it, it was really, when I discovered Cunningham technique and his work, I identified with it a lot. But I never felt that this is what I want to do on stage, not as a choreographer, and not as a dancer. So that's almost uh, too austere, too devoid of emotion, too devoid of uh, ideas besides form compared to Israeli work? Yeah, yeah, it is, yeah. The way I read uh, Merce Cunningham's work, it's not about himself. Mm -hmm. Right, okay. absolutely. And the way I understand Israeli work, it's very much about <laughs> myself. <laughs> yeah, in Israel, there is a lot of violence contained that needs to be spoken. Or li Life is violent, life is uh, not uh, easy mm -hmm. in Israel. Not in the art world and not in the... Daily life, right? Can I yes. add on to this? So I am in a continual search uh, with all of the artists that I work with to examine what your role is from the beginning, middle, end, and after. So what is your role as an artist in looking at process? Why are we doing what we do through that process? And then how we invite the audience in with the product? And then what is the responsibility after the lights go out, after a piece may find its end? What happens? And and. If we've raised a red flag about a certain issue, does it mean that it's over with your responsibility, or how does it continue? So there's a lot in there, but um, process is, is an important part. For me, at least, the process is, um, I like to take the time. For Mr. Nice, I was creating it during one year. I like to take the time and, and to, to get into the, to, to find what I'm working with and to get in deep and deep, deep and deeper and deeper and to understand the core. I have tons of responsibility. Yeah. Because I'm taking it and I'm putting it on stage and all these people come and take information. It's like almost educational. It never ends after the show. <laughs> I think this is where it starts to live. This is where it starts to uh, exist. And then the dialogue began. I, I performed this piece for three years now, and I feel like it's growing and growing and growing, and the dialogue is, is uh, to me and to, for me to understand more even about 
The process of creating theater and dance sometimes follows a formula. And so uh, the time is truncated, and the time isn't enough, I often feel, of the work that we do in America. Mm -hmm. uh, across the world, that's vastly different mm -hmm. as far as how much time we have and how we involve others into that process. In your time in the studio, from the very thing that slaps you to start a piece, how do you involve others in that process, and, and how much does that influence the change to develop as opposed to an audience just coming in because you've opened it? Yeah, first, uh, the, the, the process doesn't start in the studio. It starts at home, yeah. mm. and, and it starts in the head and in the heart and, and, and every day. The, the, the studio is start after you already have something clear. After I have something clear and, and I found the, and I find the idea that I want to move, that I have a reason to move, okay, now let's search what I want to talk about. And I like to invite uh, people to the studio to expose the, the process to, to audience or people in the studio, it's very important. Bringing in the political or financial support of that process. Financial. <laughs> <laughs> right? So people may pay to come in and see a show. You might get funding to put the show up. But what, what sort of support is offered to beginning ideas? Space-wise? Space-wise. Uh, other um, artists-wise? Actually, the, the Choreographer Association helps with the subsidized, subsidized uh, studio. For rent. But it's an association that you pay to be a member yes. of. Mm. Yes. It's a community. It's, it's a a 80 choreographers. 80 independent choreographers. Mm -hmm. Some of them are supported by institutions, governments. Some of them are totally independent and they are completely dependent on their own income. You have a fee that you pay, percentage out of your income, and you get a Mostly office services, law services, papers. Similar to a co-op of some sort. Yeah. yeah. So then is there any backlash of the funding that you might get from some of these services or support because of the topic that you're creating about? <laughs> you know, I, I bring this up because it's a continual conversation that we have as artists to be able to communicate about why it is what we're doing. Um, and why it's important to be funded and continue. But if we're offending somebody in the work that we're doing, <laughs> what does that mean? We Love Arabs, with that title alone, what kind of feedback did you get in creating it and funding? <laughs> Actually, economically, it became only better. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I must say, I can, can't complain. I didn't uh, have any censorship or threats or... But I also believe that this piece doesn't bite. I mean, it kicks maybe, but, but it invites to laugh at ourselves. So it's not a dangerous piece, in my opinion. It's my intention. Yes. It's to criticize myself, uh -huh. it's to criticize um, but in doing... each member in the audience, yeah, to uh -huh. ask. Himself. Yeah, it, it comments about the political structure, about the social structure. I guess it doesn't say something like um, Bibi's a bad person, right? Yeah. But it certainly takes it certainly which takes Which is allowed. And I right. don't think if you say that in Israel 
in arts, you your budget will be cut. cut there is no threat. Yeah. There is a lot of freedom of speech. There are some limitations. Waves, limitations, but mostly it's it's the discourse around something that makes the minister of the culture angry, mm-hmm. for example. And then there is a big discourse around it, and there is a lot of fire between uh, groups, and uh, the media gives a lot of attention to it, although it's a very not important economic uh, part of the government, there is such a small ministry, yeah, the Ministry of Culture, with such a small budget, but yeah. it gains the, the first headlines in the news. Like, for example, uh, my parents, they live in a suburb of Tel Aviv, they have maybe 50 neighbors, they all watch the news, but I don't know if 40 of them go to the theater at all. But they are all participating in the discourse, in this noisy thing of leftist artists against the right-wing, very nationalist government. So there, there is a conflict, and the outcome of this is that artists, I think, are a bit afraid and restricting, restricting themselves. We were not so witness to actions that were really taken from the ministry, a lot of threats, but not real actions, because there is nothing real there. Well, I think that that's phenomenal, because what, uh, in a lot of the work that I try to have conversations about, is to be able to clarify what our language is about the importance of art making, so that those conversations can happen, and then the limitations are expanded. And so... um, that goes back to the original question as far as what your role is as an artist to continue to make work so those conversations can happen. I personally think that the role of the artist is to be responsible for his own voice, mm-hmm. no matter what the voices around are. Anyway, politics changes. Yeah, In Israel, every year we have a new government. It's the same government, but it's every <laughs> <laughs> Elections, yeah. The reality is that artists are responsible for their own voice. I don't know artists that write pieces that caress the government or caress what people want to do. I mean, there is show business and things that people want to hear. TV is very much about this, gives the public what the public want to see. But in the art field, in dance, in theater, it's not so polite. Artists allow themselves the freedom of speech. Anyway, the budget that you get from the government or from institutions is so small that... Uh, Don't really count on it. Yeah. I think the, the audience has responsibility as well. They have uh-huh. to be updated. They have, they have to stop asking the artists to, to provide them something that fits to their taste. This is not how I see the role of art. We, we cannot go anywhere if we just keep producing things that please the people. Both of your pieces, both these pieces, the audience laughed at. <coughs> yeah? Just curious if humor is, is, a, is, a, is a weapon for you, as a tool within your work. So I'd just like to hear you talk, each of you talk about humor within your work. He doesn't do science fiction or... or yeah. This is what he does and... Woody Allen does what he does, and uh, each one swims in his own swimming pool, and his own water. So comedy is my water. Apart from that, what I recognize, especially with We Love Arabs, I want to talk about very serious, scary things, Mm -hmm. questions. 
that I ask myself and that I would like to ask other people. And then humor becomes a manipulative uh, tool, yeah, a weapon. Because this is questions and, and matters that we usually are very serious about, that involve so much emotions from us, especially as Israelis, yeah, when we live the when our daily life is full of this violence and political questions and fears that really affect our daily life. We we every two years we have to go to the shelters, yeah, mm-hmm. because because of the Arabs. Mm-hmm. If you have a shelter. Of course, it's not because of the Arabs, yeah. But this is the fear. The, the Arab represent fear for uh, and and for me to, as I understand it, to be a Jew in Israel, you have a baggage that you carry with the baggage of the Holocaust, the baggage of uh, anti-Semitism. To be a Jew is a responsibility, and there is also fear. So there is a lot of emotion. There is a lot of emotion there uh, when you are. Uh, dealing with these questions. And there is also conventions, art conventions, of how we talk about the conflict. How do we show what our movies about Israelis and Arabs look like? What are art pieces, yeah? How to represent the conventions, art conventions. People are also tired of it and also are brainwashed with this form of conventions and, and artistic representations of the conflict, artistic representations of racism, of fear. Well, humor allows you to pretend that it's life, to pretend that it's, <laughs> let's break the ice, okay? Yeah. And the ice is broken, and it's magic, and we laugh, and we enjoy. I hope that the outcome of this breaking the ice and of this manipulation of humor allows the people to ask the question more clean. Mm-hmm. So without emotions, without heavy emotions, without the fear, without the um, angriness. In this way, it's it's manipulative. In a way, I'm here to make you laugh. I want to entertain you. Mm-hmm. I want you to laugh. I need you to laugh with me because this is how I get the feedback that it's working, what mm-hmm. I'm doing. Mm-hmm. In a way, when you, when you tell a joke and, and people don't laugh it, Terrible. It's a failure, actually. So it's also so it's also a failure. Whatever your project is, it's a failure. It means people don't understand it, and if people laugh, okay. So, I do you have any? I was gonna open up to these guys, but maybe we have one more. Um, I want to talk about the objects and the choice of of symbolism on stage, and and maybe that also falls into this idea of humor. What I love about the dance discipline is that your bodies are your storytellers, and I strongly believe that's true with theater actors also, but we get caught up in in sets and props and blah, right, and talking. So what is it that allows you to choose the things that you bring on stage with you? So you have shoes and this jacket that you use brilliantly in the way that you're portraying with who it is that you are on stage, and the hummus is just hummus. Brilliant. So, what, what, you, when there is so little, the things that you choose is that much more important and does make the political statement potentially, right? So, what is it that allows you to uh, bring those things into uh, the rehearsal process and then cut things away? Oh wow! I bring all my all my wardrobe, all, all my closet yeah. <laughs> in, the, in the studio, and I change a lot, and I 
there, there's a lot of things in the beginning, mm -hmm. and 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 I end up with this fur jacket and these shoes <laughs> in the end because I don't know. I get I guess it's an instinct of of uh, a lot. I, I want to 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 bring a lot of things, but you, you use only the things that you really really uh, have reason to. This little thing that that make makes it connect to the concept. Yeah, because I want to to disassemble, disassemble yeah. to disassemble this character of mm. of how women woman should look like or mm. very um, elegant maybe or whatever and and just to break it into all its three dimensional look that women are. <laughs> I mean, we're not just. Yeah, there's a lot of things inside, and it's the animal, and it's the the mother nature, and it's the and there's a lot of uh, anger also. It's not just a nice smile and being elegant. It's not about being elegant. Or... Yeah, and I found this jacket. I was playing with this jacket as as the animal also. I think. Mm -hmm. It helps me to bring this animal out. Um, I am interested in uh, cliches uh, in my in in many of my choices that I do. More than talking about Arabs and Jews and about political and social issues, I love pointing out at the conventions of the theater, the conventions of dance, relationship between dancers and choreographer, the way dancers do things, the way choreographers talk the way we compose, the way we use objects in art. The objects that I choose, the text that I'm choosing is, for me, pointing out at the convention. It's um, exposing the cliché, the cliché, the mannerism. And this way, I think it enables us to really see the symbol as symbol mm -hmm. and, uh, and to, to understand, the, to ask ourselves what is a symbol, what it represents. Uh, I think Actually, my use of hummus, for example, allows us to see hummus as, as it is. <laughs> Especially I mean, as Israelis. Because, because it, it, it's, for me, it's, it's the reality. You know, there is the... How I, 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 want, I would like to, to tell you how I chose hummus. <laughs> so it was a Saturday night. <laughs> It's, it was home watching TV, and you know when the, when before the news, sometimes they have ten seconds of nothing, and they don't have what to show in those ten seconds. In the I mean, in the national channel, the one nobody watches, not the commercial <laughs> one, but the, the the national broadcast, and they don't have commercials, so they they cannot fill in the, the empty times with commercials and. One show, one program was finished and they had maybe 20 seconds before the news, because the news have to be punctual, yeah, they have to be at 8. So at 20 seconds to 8, there was a screen, a screensaver, like a screensaver, saying uh, Shabbat Shalom, yeah, a good Shabbat to all our viewers. And the background was hummus. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the peas. Uh, the peas. Yeah, the peas. Because 
because this is this is Israel. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like I don't know. It's like leaving the flag behind. <laughs> this this is how graphic art works. <laughs> yeah, they they wouldn't put a green, red, and black screen behind, for example. They wouldn't. Because those colors represent something, but they would put a blue and white screen or things that uh, yeah that represent us before the news, such an important gathering on Shabbat evening, the national news and the hoops. okay so then, no, it's funny, but then I also understood how important it is, what a strong. Thing it is, and my parents again, they are they are Russian. Alongside the gefilte fish, there is the hummus, and nobody asked how did it get there. My my parents can vote to the right, to the left, to the middle, to the greens, to whatever depends which taxi ride they take <laughs> because the taxi drivers convinced that this is the, the political conversation happens in the taxi and and people don't ask this question they are not aware so i think bring the hummus on stage and and, and talking about it allows yeah actually not not allows forces you forces you to see this forces you to see If Anat uses uh, high heels, it forces you to see, I think. And, and uh, yeah, so, so I love deconstructing those things and deconstructing symbols and objects. And I, I also don't identify with the art form as enigma, yeah, as a, as a riddle. Mm -hmm. I like when it's, yeah, declarative. Yeah. Yeah. For listening to this Rosemary McGee Creativity Conversation. This podcast was brought to you by Emory University and Arts at Emory. It was produced by Emma Yarbrough and me, Maggie Becker. Be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and follow us on Facebook at Arts at Emory and on Instagram at Emory Arts.